I have the honour and privilege of uh, taking us on our next instalment of our playlist series. And um, as you heard, the song that I have chosen this morning is by Florence and the Machine. I really like that band. Uh, but I find that song, Shake It Out, in particular, really interesting. This idea that someone is carrying something that actually feels really dark and really oppressive at times, um, that they just can't get rid of. A voice that speaks brokenness over them, something that prevents them from moving, prevents them from being all that they could be, prevents them from dancing. And uh, it may actually be this morning um, that you don't like dancing that much. So anything that prevents you from dancing may be seen as quite a good thing. Um, But what I want to unpack is this idea of shame, this idea of something inherently broken within us that we just cannot get rid of, this underlying sense that something about us is wrong. Um, and I'm afraid I'm going to use the metaphor of dance for a little while to do that. So I'm, any keen dancers, you're very welcome to just go for it at the back. But um, also, you're welcome to stay where you are. Feel no pressure. Um, when I went to uni, I did a degree, unbelievably. And my degree was in theology and performing arts. And so some of what I did was dancing. And uh, the deal at the uni that I went to is that when you were in first year, you would join in with and be a part of a third year's dance piece. And their dance piece was the equivalent of their dissertation. So maybe they wouldn't write this massive long essay, but they would choreograph um, and organize this big dance piece that happened. And I was in one of these for my friend Anna, who was in third year, and I loved Anna. Anna was amazing. She was genuinely was my friend. I met her through the CU, we got on really well, she did performing arts, I did performing arts, so I wanted to do so well for her final piece at uni, so we worked really, really hard. There were three of us who were dancing for her, and um, we rehearsed and rehearsed, and then... Two days before her final performance, I was at my halls in uni, and I was going around to my friend's flat to watch, I think it was, the last episode in the season of a box set that we were watching, and I was super excited about watching this box set. And what I decided to do was on the way to the halls, there were, there were these four concrete steps. You can see where this is going, can't you? And um, I was so excited about watching this uh, final episode that I leapt with joy down these steps, but didn't land with the joy that I started the jump with. I went over on my ankle at the bottom of the steps, and it was one of the two times in my life where I've gone over on my ankle and heard something pop. I thought, oh dear, that's bad. I knew it wasn't broken, but I couldn't really walk either. So um, I had to call my friend, Anna, and I was like, Anna, now don't panic. But, and that's always a good start, isn't it? So um, I I called her and I said, look, I've fallen. Um, I've really hurt my ankle. I can barely move it. And she is just sobbing down the phone to me. I was like, oh my gosh. Anna, it's going to be fine. It's going to be fine. I'm going to do the dance. You won't even notice. It'll be great. I will just crack on. I'm going to rest up. It'll be absolutely fine. So as any self-respecting first year at uni does, I rested for two days and then I just bandaged my ankle up and I took as many painkillers as I could take and be okay with and I just went for it in this dance piece. And um, she actually got a really good mark because she worked really hard. But I knew in that dance, dancing, that I did not dance uh, to the fullest of my capabilities. I could sense there was something really wrong in my ankle. And so it affected the way I moved. And what I did was I would dance, but I would then like 
change my posture to compensate for what I knew was wrong in my ankle, for this pain, this vulnerability. And so I wasn't as good as I should have been. I didn't have full movement because I was changing my posture to compensate for what was wrong. Um, even to the point at times where I brought out, I actually caused pain in other areas because I was changing my posture. So for example, there was this role that we were supposed to do and it was supposed to kind of go down over my ankle and roll, but I really didn't want to put any weight near my ankle, so I just went for it and launched myself. Ended up with my arm behind my back on the floor and nearly broke my own arm in my exuberance of rolling. Um, and the problem was is that I was compensating for something over here, changing my posture and actually causing harm somewhere else. Shame is this sense that there is something wrong inside of us, this internal voice that says there is something wrong with you or in you, that somehow you are not right. And what happens is that this voice of shame speaks over our lives and in order to compensate for that voice, we shift our posture, we shift our behaviour to try and cover that voice. For example, maybe the voice of shame in your life speaks over you that you are unloved and you are unlovable. And so we shift our posture to cover that sense of wrong. So what we do is maybe we will go from relationship to relationship to relationship to relationship. And you may never hear the voice of shame in someone's life, but you might see that behavior. And that person is doing that in order to compensate for this voice inside of them, to try and silence this voice that says, you are unlovable. And so we shift our behavior to compensate for that. Does that make sense? I will take your almost silence as a resounding yes. Okay, so uh, this morning I want to look at how do we lose this sense of carrying this sense of shame around, this weight? How do we be free of this? Because it can be so damaging and so hurtful to us. And I'm afraid to do that, we need to go back to the thing about dancing. So what a joy. Um, this morning uh, we are um, going from... Uh, book 2 Samuel chapter 6 and we're coming in where uh, David is king and there is this um, I guess box in the most respectful way possible that um, is referred to as the ark of God or the ark of the Lord and the idea of this box is it's the place where God's presence um, lived and rested uh, when he was with his people so as long as God um, as long as the Israelites sorry had this box had the ark of God with them had the ark of the Lord with them then God's presence was with them because it kind of dwelt in this box and so um there was this big battle, very long story cut short, and the Philistines took the Ark of the Lord away, uh, and the Israelites clearly wanted it back. Um, and so through a very long process, they got it back. Um, something went wrong, so they had to leave it at someone's house. It sounds like a thing, doesn't it? Like, oh, I just left it at theirs. But it was there for a while. Long story, you can read it yourself in 2 Samuel 6. And um, David then goes on this trip to return the presence of God to his people, to return the Ark of God to Jerusalem, so that God's presence was with his people again. So this is um, from 2 Samuel 6, verses 12 to 15. Then King David was told, the Lord has blessed Obededon's household and everything he has because of the ark of the Lord. So David went there and brought the ark of God from the house of Obed-Edom to the city of David with a great celebration. After the men who were carrying the ark of the Lord had gone six steps, David sacrificed a bull and a fattened calf. And David danced before the Lord with all his might, wearing a priestly garment. Now, um, 
in uh, the little, you know, like a little asterisk in the Bible at the footnotes at the bottom, it says like a linen ephod. Now, I used to think growing up that this was like David dancing in his pants. And I always wondered, how did he get into that state? Like just so excited, he took all his clothes off and danced. Isn't quite like that is my understanding. This idea of, of a priestly garment, it was kind of like a robe, like a man dress um, that people would wear when they were... Um, performing a religious ceremony, I guess. So he had this kind of priestly robe on. Now, I don't know whether you've ever been to a wedding and seen someone dancing with all their might, but even in that situation, things get exposed in excitement. Um, people are twirling around and jumping. There are parts of your flesh that maybe you know how long your dresses are, are exposed. And this is what is seen in this moment. You see, David, although we talk about shaming this covering, David is actually uncovered in this moment. He is vulnerable. He is exposed. Physically, yes, but also in terms of his position. You see, he's the king and people will have been critical that are watching him, but he didn't care in that moment. It wasn't the voice of the critics that he was behaving uh, to, to quieten. He was just dancing before God. He didn't care what people thought. That voice inside of him that said, well, what about them? What about what they say? What about your identity? What about your pride? What about your... Um, your position as king. You see, really, there's, there's absolute beauty in David dancing freely in this moment. He's not worried about others' perception of him. He's not worried about rejection from people and what other people will think. He's not self-conscious. In fact, he's described, as we'll read in a bit, as dancing shamelessly. What does it mean to not have a voice, question your behavior, to question the way you carry yourself, your conduct, but instead, 100%, dance before God, vulnerable, exposed. This is who I am. This is who God is and who, he, and who he says I am matters. How does he get to that place? I know there's a great, um, a great phrase that I heard. Um, many of us think that freedom is not getting found out. But actually, freedom is not having to hide. What does it look like for us to be shamelessly us without a voice questioning what we're about and the fabric of who we are. To understand this a little more, we need to kind of unpack shame. Now, just to be really clear, I am not a professional in the knowledge of things to do with shame. All I can share with you this morning is my, uh, my understanding. And so if this isn't bang on for those of you in the room who are professionals, and I apologize, uh, please do fill me in after. I'm giving it my best shot. Um, but it's really important that we understand what shame is. Now, shame is not the same as embarrassment. Embarrassment is maybe going red, feeling a bit awkward, and it's a moment that passes. Shame is not the same as humiliation. You see, when you're humiliated, you feel stupid and small, and it's horrendous, but it passes. And this is really important. Shame is not the same as guilt. You see, guilt is about what you did. Shame is about who you are. Guilt says, I did something wrong. And it's really important that we feel guilt and we know that. But shame says, there is something wrong with me. And it's that voice that is sometimes momentary, but is a recurring theme in our lives. There is something fundamentally wrong with who I am and what I'm about. And as I said before, that might look like that voice being that you are unlovable. And so you compensate, you cover that voice of shame by going from relationship to relationship to relationship, trying to cover up that voice inside. And the word shame is interesting because um, 
I, they think that the word shame comes from this, I think, Danish word called skem, which literally means to cover. And this is what we do. We cover our shame with our behavior. We cover our shame. We hide under cover from this horrible sense that fundamentally there is something wrong with us. And yet, in this passage, David dodged that voice of shame. Somehow, David manages to be vulnerable, to be completely him, to not respond or react or even worry about this external or internal voice saying, you are not good enough. This is not how you should behave. You do not deserve this. You are, you are uh, damaged goods. You are not someone who is worthy even to bring the presence of God back into his city. But instead, David is shameless. And we might think, oh, well, he's a king. He gets to do what he wants. But it was probably that he, this wasn't something that bothered him. It probably was that he never had this voice speaking over him. Well, that wasn't the case, as we'll see in a second. You see, when we're looking about shame, when we're, we're talking and thinking about shame, it's not whether that voice is there or not. It's how we choose to respond to that voice that really matters. So this is uh, from 2 uh, Samuel 6, verse 20. When David returned home to bless his own family, Michal, the daughter of Saul, who was the previous king, came out to meet him. She said in disgust, how distinguished the king of Israel looked today, shamelessly exposing himself to the servant girls like any vulgar person might do. You see, David had a voice of shame speaking over him. It was an external one rather than an internal one, but it was still something that he had to wrestle with. Someone speaking about his identity, speaking about his conduct, speaking about how he was a disgrace. You see, this voice questioned his power. It questioned his very identity. It questioned his integrity. It, it questioned his capacity to do his role. And in a moment, we'll look at his response to that. But before we do, I would love to ask you the question... What is the voice that stops you from dancing? What is that voice that speaks shame over your life? So maybe it is that you are unlovable. And perhaps, as I said, it's going from relationship to relationship, looking for people's approval or just to be liked to cover that. Or maybe your response to it is that you don't let anyone too close. And, and you keep people at a distance. Because as long as people are further away, you can't be rejected. And that voice can't be any louder than it is. Maybe for you, it's that you're not good enough. And so what you do is you work really hard to compensate for that voice, to cover that voice over. Maybe you've been going through exams. Do you think, if I can just get those grades, then that will prove that I am good enough and that voice will be silenced for a while. Or maybe it looks like that in work, that if you can just be told you're doing a good job, just have approval from those people, then that voice that says you are not good enough will be silenced for a time. Or perhaps it makes you compare yourself to other people. If I can just be better than them, then I will know that I am good enough. Perhaps that voice says that you're a failure. And so it cripples you from wanting to do anything new. Because if you take a risk and you get it wrong, the sound and the volume of that voice of failure over your life is unbearable. Or perhaps it means that you can't take criticism. Because if anyone tells you you did something wrong or you got something wrong, then again, that voice of failure, that voice of shame just ramps up and it's more than you can bear. You know, shame for many of us um, is a moment thing, like a repetitive moment, uh, something that keeps coming back, a voice that keeps coming back again and again. But for some of us, it's not a moment. 
For some of us, shame is the reality of our existence. That voice of shame has become our identity. And it might be that for some of us, something has happened to us in our past. or Someone has done something to us or spoken something over us that has so affected our identity that that voice of shame is so loud that we cannot see past that voice that says, you are disgusting. You are not good enough. You are a failure. And shame will cover us until it buries us, if we let it. You know, the the stats linking um, poor mental health, anxiety, depression to a, a strong sense of shame in our lives, those stats linking the two are off the charts. And if this morning the voice of shame that I'm speaking about, you're sitting there and you go, I know that voice. If that's something that you experienced, I want to say that I am so sorry because it is so painful and can shape so much of who you are and restrict so much of what you're prepared to do. It really can cripple us. But this morning, I also want to say that you are not created for that. And I also want to say that you are not alone. You know, we all experience shame in different ways to different degrees. For me, uh, the voice of shame in my life uh, says that I am not good enough. And when I was a teenager, that looked like bathing in fake tan regularly and shoving on loads of makeup and wearing the right clothes. Uh, As I got older, it became about my body shape and my weight. Um, As I got older still, and even now, I um, find myself in meetings or at events, uh, going there to, to speak or be a part of it, and just standing there thinking, man, if you really knew me, you would know that I haven't got a clue what is going on and I'm making it all up as I go along. And even like the title of leader, being a leader, I've really had to wrestle with that. Because again, this voice of shame says, you're not good enough. They're going to find out that you don't know what you're doing. And you know, the closer I get to Jesus, the more time I spend with him, I find those lies much easier to recognize. And I hear this voice of shame and I know it's a lie. But that only really, truly works when I am fully reconciled with God, when I'm really close to him. So how did David respond to these voices of shame in his life? So this uh, is a passage uh, that follows on from the last one in 2 Samuel 6, verse 21. David retorted to Michal, I was dancing before the Lord who chose me above your father and all his family. He appointed me as the leader of Israel, the people of the Lord, so I celebrated before the Lord. Yes, and I am willing to look even more foolish than this, even to be humiliated in my own eyes. But those servant girls you mentioned will indeed think I am distinguished. You see, he didn't take a moment to process. He didn't take a minute to weigh up the feedback that he'd received from his wife. All of a sudden, he spots it's a lie. And he says, do you know what? God has called me into this role. God has called me into this place. And he knows me inside out. And so I will not accept that voice of shame that you are speaking over me. And not only that, but actually my vulnerability in this situation, my ability to be weak before God has set those servant girls free. My own vulnerability has enabled somebody else. And so I will look distinguished in their eyes. David's response to shame uh, is incredible, but I, I think it actually has something to do with what he was doing during this whole situation. If if you remember, we had the Ark of God, this kind of big 
very decorative box uh, of which the presence of God uh, rested within. And, and the presence of God was being returned to Israel, being returned to, to his people, being returned to Jerusalem, being reconciled with his people. And you know, there is something about being reconciled with God, something about being restored into the presence of God that shame cannot stand. And it has been that way since the beginning of time. Because shame is something that we have carried since the beginning of time as a race. It's, what, it's something knitted into, the, into human's fabric. And I want to take you back just for a second to Genesis 2. Um, the verses were too long to put on the screen, so I'm just going to read it to you. Uh, and you guys can have a rest and have a little think and please don't fall asleep. Um, so this is when God has created the whole world. He's created fish and rivers and Haribo and Fortnite and all these different things. And um, Eve has been made. And then Adam says this. This is Genesis 2 verse 23. At last, the man exclaimed, This one is bone of my bone and flesh from my flesh. She will be called woman because she is taken from man. This explains why a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife and the two are united into one. Okay, listen up. Now the man and his wife were both naked, vulnerable, exposed, but they felt no shame. The serpent was the shrewdest of all the wild animals the Lord God had made. One day he asked the woman, did God really say that you must not eat the fruit from any of the trees in the garden? Of course you may eat the fruit from the trees in the garden, the woman replied. It's the fruit from the tree in the middle of the garden that we're not allowed to eat. And God said, you must not eat it or even touch it, and if you do, you will die. You won't die, the serpent replied to the woman. God knows that your eyes will be opened as soon as you eat it, and then you'll be like God, knowing both good and evil. Well, the woman was convinced. She saw that the tree was beautiful and its fruit looked delicious, and she wanted some of the wisdom it would give her. So she took some of the fruit and she ate it. She then gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it too. Okay, listen up, back in. At that moment, their eyes were opened and suddenly felt shame at their nakedness. So they sewed the fig leaves together to cover themselves. And then verse 20, then the man Adam named his wife Eve because she would be the mother of all life. And the Lord God made clothing from animal skins for Adam and his wife. There's this moment a moment of brokenness, where at the beginning, Adam and Eve were vulnerable, exposed, and they felt no shame. And then something breaks, and this sense of shame, this something, this sense that something is inherently wrong, is carried not only by them, but from humanity ever since. Now, uh, in order to get this, I need you guys to understand shame. You see, shame wasn't actually intended to be a really bad thing. Shame has a purpose. Um, So the idea of shame is that it helps create boundaries. Um, It helps us to know when something is wrong. So um, Nick actually really helped me understand this. If you imagine that I have a small child with me, and there's a really busy main road, and I say to the child, whatever you do, don't go near that road because you're going to get hurt. Or, if you like, imagine there's a garden with a tree right in the middle. And God says, do not eat that tree, fruit from that tree. If you do, you will get hurt. Back to the child. The child's with me, of course, because it's an illustration. The child's gonna run towards the really busy road, okay? And so what do I do? I shout, no, stop, come back. And all of a sudden, when I shout, the child knows they have done something wrong and feels this sense of shame. Something here is wrong. Now, 
What's supposed to happen is reconciliation, is restoration. I bring the child back to me and I say, don't run towards the road, it's dangerous. You're going to get hurt if you do that. I don't want you to get hurt because I love you. I care about you. You mean so much to me. You're forgiven. Just don't go near the road again because I don't want you to be hurt. My relationship with a child is restored. The sense of shame is gone. And they know that going near that road is going to hurt them. We go back to the Garden of Eden. The moment that humanity ate from that fruit, the relationship with God was broken. And so that restoration moment couldn't take place. And all that was left was this sense of shame that we carry, that something is fundamentally wrong. Until God comes to the earth in the form of Jesus. He dies on the cross and restores us back into relationship with a God who looks at you and says, you are loved, you are adored, you are more than enough. And on the cross, Jesus deals with our guilt, the things that we have done wrong, but he also deals with our shame and who we are. And he says, your identity is in me. And I see you as perfect, as flawless and as loved because I have covered your shame. Do you remember that Adam and Eve tried to sew fig leaves together to wear it as clothing? Now, I don't know whether you've ever tried to wear leaves as clothes. I mean, I haven't. Let's not start that rumour. But it doesn't work. It was never going to work. Us covering our own shame is never the answer. You see, God knew that, and so what he did in the Garden of Eden was he took an animal, a totally innocent animal, he sacrificed it, shed its blood, and used that animal to cover our shame. And that's exactly what he did on the cross. Jesus, completely innocent, gave his life, sacrificed, blood was shed, so that our shame would be covered. So that we can be reconciled with God, and that voice of shame that we hear in our lives can be silenced. I mean, we still hear that voice of shame. We still hear that voice that says, you are not good enough. You are wrong. You are bad at that. You have failed in that area. But they're empty lies. And Satan will keep firing those lies at us because he wants us to be covered in shame. What he will do is fire a lie and just watch our response. And if he gets a response, he knows he's onto a winner. And so he'll fire some more. And we are buried under lies and shame that aren't real. They feel real. But actually, if we are in relationship with Jesus, our relationship with God is restored and that voice of shame is completely empty. You see, the reason that Satan wants us to be covered in shame is because as long as we feel a sense of shame, our eyes are focused on ourselves. I am not good enough. I am a failure. I am unlovable. I have made a mistake that is too big to move beyond. I am disgusting. And as long as our eyes are on us, our world is in a whole lot of trouble. You see, our world is broken. Our world is hurting. People are starving to death while tons of food is being thrown away. People are dying from preventable diseases. There's no clean drinking water. People are literally fleeing their countries and risking their lives because it's more appealing to risk your life fleeing your country than stay where you are. And as long as our eyes are on us, our world will not be changed. But I believe today that Jesus wants to say, step out from under the cover that you're hiding under.
Step out from under your shame. I have provided a cover for you because this world needs me. We can't afford to have our eyes on ourselves anymore. Lift your eyes and look at the cover that Jesus has provided. Could I ask you guys to stand, please? I'm just going to pray for a moment and then I'm uh, just going to see maybe what God might want to do. Jesus, um, I thank you that you have created us for freedom. That God, you want to free us from the weights that hold us back. The weight and the shame that stops us from moving or dancing or fulfilling the potential that you have put over our lives. Not just for our own sakes, God, but for the sake of a world that is broken and desperately needs you. wonder whether you everyone will close their eyes just for a second with me this morning I've spoken a lot about being restored in our relationship with Jesus about the journey of shedding shame beginning when we step into relationship with Jesus and I just wonder whether there are some people here this morning that have never said yes to being in a relationship with Jesus. That have never consciously said, I want in. I believe what God has done for me. And I'm done with shame. I'm done with guilt. And so while everyone's eyes are closed, in a second, I'm going to invite, if you are wanting to step into a relationship with God for the first time this morning, I'm just going to invite you to lift your hand whilst everyone's eyes are closed. And the reason that we respond physically isn't to make me feel better about numbers. It's not anything to do with that. It's an outward expression of something that's going on internally. It's an outward expression of you saying, God, I see that you've said something to me. And look, I'm going to do something about it. So that's why we do it. So while everyone's eyes are closed, if you want to say yes to Jesus, to being reconciled with God, to being restored in your relationship with him, to shedding guilt and shame, and you've never said yes to him before, while no one is looking, would you just raise your hand for me where you are? God that you died for us that your blood was shed so that we might be covered and this morning we say yes to you either for the first time or again Amen There is one other thing I'd love to do and this takes a little bit of bravery I know that shame is a really personal thing a really private thing, something that we like to keep hidden. 
But again, I would love an opportunity for you guys to respond outwardly to something that God is doing internally. And I'm not going to ask anybody to talk to you about what you want to respond for. No one's allowed to ask you questions. You can report them if they do. But just where you are, if you feel like anything that's been shared this morning around that voice saying you are not enough, that voice inside of you, that internal voice that says something is wrong fundamentally with who I am. If there's just been something this morning you think, yeah, God, God's on that one with me. God, God, you want me to think about that a bit more. In a moment, could I ask you again to, to raise your hand? Not because, again, I want to see, but just saying, yeah, God, I get it. And what I'd love is if you do that, then just a couple of people around you to just... Um, just pop their hand on your shoulder if you're comfortable with that and just to pray for you as you respond because this is a big deal just as you say yes to God for people to be standing with you and backing you up so if you would like to outwardly respond to what God has been doing in you this morning just saying yes God I know we need to work on that one would you would you mind just raising your hand for me just so that we can see. Thank you so much. That's great. Brilliant. That's fantastic. Thank you so much for your vulnerability. And I honestly believe that in doing that, it sets other people free as well. Now, if others of you could just look around you and just see if someone's got their hand in the air, could you just lay a hand on their shoulder if they're okay with that? And just pray for them. And please don't ask them why. All you need to do is pray, Jesus set them free. Just keep praying. Jesus set them free and as we do that we're going to sing again we're going to sing the song that we sang before that Gemma's led us in tremble and let's sing this over our own lives but let's sing it about our world as well